Hi, and welcome to the podcast version of Between the Lines. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to hear or see more episodes and become a patron to get exclusive content and help keep our program going, just visit barrykibrick.com. Enjoy. We the people, the opening to the preamble of our Constitution are the three most important words that define who we are as a nation. In fact, as we see in the streets of Hong Kong, the battles that the Kurds face in Syria, and every human who craves freedom, those words mean as much to the world as it does to us here in our very own country. Yet it seems more and more that we the people are having less and less of a say in determining our fates than ever, ever before. I'm Barry Kibrick, and I'm most definitely not saying that there was a time in some make-believe glorious past that we did have more of a say. What I am, however, proposing is that now is the time that we need to more than ever. Between the Lines with Barry Kibrick is made possible in part by the following contributors. A complete list of funders is available at barrykibrick.com. The ability for me to talk with you each week is truly an honor and a privilege that I do not take lightly. And that's why I want to be very clear that when I speak of we the people, I am not talking about a particular party ideology, or anything that currently appears to divide us. What I'm talking about are the three words that totally, totally unite us. And there is proof to that on both sides of the political spectrum. In fact, I'm going to begin with using one of the most liberal interpreters of the Constitution and one of its most conservative And both are in total agreement when it comes to the words, we the people. First, let's state the preamble. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. Now the words by an admittedly very liberal thinker and constitutional attorney, the Dean of Berkeley Law School, Erwin Chemerinsky, he states that the reason those words lead off the Constitution is that the document is created by we, the people. And then to quote him directly, it is the people who are sovereign, not the government. The preamble describes the core values that the Constitution exists to achieve. Democratic government, effective governance, and justice and freedom. Next are the words by what many people would consider a conservative or originalist when it comes to the Constitution. He is Michael Stokes Paulson, the distinguished university chair and professor 
at the University of St. Thomas School of Law. He states that the Constitution is founded to protect individual freedom. It is a society with personal liberty, not a duty to the state is central. It boldly declares that the document is the enactment of and remains the property of the people, not the government and not any branch thereof, with the clear implication that we the people remain ultimately responsible for the proper interpretation and application of what is in the end our Constitution. So, as you can clearly see, that no matter what side of the political spectrum one resides, we the people are what matter most. Now, unfortunately, it just doesn't seem that way, especially today. And this does not imply that all politicians are corrupt or that big business and big social institutions are evil. I believe, as a friend once told me, never attribute to malice what you can easily chalk up to stupidity or ignorance. And maybe it's just as simple as these words by the rock group OAR from their song, Go Through. It goes like this. My daddy told me politicians never learned the golden rule. You know, the more I think about it, that simple rule, do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. And I also like the corollary of that rule as well. Do not do unto others as you wouldn't want them to do unto you. Maybe that is what's really lacking. On one hand, it would seem so easy to follow. Yet, like common sense, the only problem is it isn't as common as it should be. I also proposed in my opening comments that this is not a discourse about some glorious time in the past when we the people truly had a say, but it is about the future where our voice is getting smaller and smaller. And that, my friends, that is dangerous. And again, as I jokingly stated in a past chat with you, if I had all the answers, this would go viral and save humanity. But what I do know is true is that with viewers and listeners like you, and I know this from all your emails and comments on my YouTube channel, Facebook page, and even some of my Instagram posts, I relish the opportunity that I am right now talking with some of the best minds out there. And possibly, just possibly, together, we can do something to right the current situation where our voices are not being heard. Now, let me also be very clear. This is not a doom or gloom scenario. In fact, when we begin to look at this with new eyes and open minds, 
we will see the light that truly shines brightly to lead us out of this bureaucratic darkness so that we the people really are, if not back in total control, at least know that our voice is heard and that our issues are what is important and that of our institutions, our major public corporations and governments must begin to know it, that we the people have the strongest say. And even though this is a serious topic and it has strong ramifications, I think we can handle it with a mixture of a good dose of humor and a positive outlook, because otherwise we will be dragged down with a sense of helplessness. In fact, that's something we can never let happen. That's the way totalitarian governments survive. They keep their people so depressed and so concerned only with the goodness that the state provides that the notion of we the people literally vanishes out of their souls. That will not, nor will it ever be the case here. It is the blessing we have of being born out of the philosophy of the Enlightenment thinkers and the founding fathers and mothers who knew that this is only through the people that true freedom can ring. And I believe the legendary singer-songwriter Bono summed it up best when he said, America is not just a country. Bono said, it's an idea. And that idea belongs to everybody who wishes to serve it. He goes on to mention many other wonderful countries, but says clearly that they are countries and not ideas. Bono says America is an idea and we mustn't lose faith in that idea for it enriches the world. But first, we have to get our own backyard cleaned up. And I don't believe it requires a bulldozer. Just a good lawnmower and rake should do the job. Let me begin with some personal observations that I recently had an opportunity to see firsthand. Then I'll bring in some broader situations filled with a bigger spectrum and with hopefully enough insights we may not find a solution, but at least a direction that you and I can take together. And don't think that a small band of merry men and women can't make a difference. After all, it's how our country began in the first place. Now, here is my personal introduction to government in action. I can't believe this. It began in my neighborhood. Now, this is one of the oldest suburbs of Los Angeles, where the homes range from around 1,200 square feet to the largest at about 2,500 square feet. I fall on the smaller end of that spectrum with a 1,500 square foot house, the classic 1950s ranch home with two bedrooms, a living room, kitchen, and one and a half bathrooms. Now, I know what you're thinking. How can such a handsome celebrity TV star like me have such a small home 
but that's for another episode. The point is, I literally got railroaded into getting involved with local and state government. Here's the story. The state government duly elected with an asterisk. The asterisk is that in California, the top two vote getters in the primary are the ones who are put on the ballot. So oftentimes we can only vote for one party. But then again, that's the time for another story, another time, however you want to look at it. I'm not getting into that now. Here's what happened, though. The state decided, not the local municipalities or their citizens, that every city, town, or county must allow a form of rehab facility for up to six people to occupy an existing home if sold to a rehab facility. Now, these are for-profit companies that can purchase a single-family home in the neighborhood and turn it into a rehab center of any type. Could be for drug rehab, physical rehab, mental rehab, whatever the case. If a business wants to buy the home and the seller willing to sell it, that home can be turned into a rehab facility for up to six people. Remember, I said this would not shake up anyone on either side of the political spectrum, so here's how it goes. None of the neighbors in any of the neighborhoods thought the state should do this. No one said it was a great idea. And like many, all said the concept sounds good, for we all want to help our less fortunate neighbors in need. Just the classic, not in my backyard. The classic NIMBY situation. But here's the catch. No one in our neighborhood even felt that way. In fact, we already had two rehab facilities in our neighborhood, and there was no issue. By the way, remember, I said these were small homes. Therefore, even if you had six people, most of them existing in a three-bedroom home, two people in a room, well, you know, if you have no other choice or home, it still is better than being institutionalized. And that was at least the theory behind the idea in the first place. So far, so good. Now here comes the interesting part. The city of Los Angeles decided that the state law did not go far enough. They felt again, without any input from the city residents, without letting anyone know until after the fact, that if a private rehab company wanted to put 12 people in a home, that would be okay. And the state law specifically said that in order for it to fit into the community, it had to be an existing single-family dwelling. But a home in our neighborhood was built specifically for a 12-person facility going against the state law and doing so without, again, ever notifying anyone in the neighborhood. In fact, to see politics in action, the corporation behind this facility claimed they had full approval of all the neighbors and the neighborhood council as well. It was an absolute lie, for I was on the neighborhood council. Now that type of lie, would seem enough to throw the whole case out, but it wasn't. So the neighbors did get up in arms 
and began to petition the decision. We were totally fine with another six-person facility, but a 12-person facility that didn't even resemble any of the homes in the neighborhood, which was the state's initial reasoning, was not something we thought should be allowed. It's when I decided to attend one of the hearings that I realized we the people would not even be taken into account. First, most of the people in my neighborhood are all working class people with jobs. The building commission meets only once a month during the work day. So I knew right off the bat that meant missing dollars from most of the people who would be attending. You see, they never have commission or council meetings that would allow people to easily or at the very least possibly attend if they held the meeting, say, from 6 to 8 in the evening. At least those who work stood a chance of making it to the meeting. But these meetings are only held during business hours. Now, that didn't hit me until I personally attended one. It was then that I saw the only other people in attendance were the few diehard neighbors who just couldn't stand the injustice. But believe it or not, the majority of the people were the corporate lawyers, paid lobbyists, and so-called neighborhood activists, which for the record, not a single one of the neighborhood activists lived even remotely near our neighborhood. What happened next blew my mind. The commission decided that the attorney for the corporation behind the rehab facility would be given 10 minutes to speak, while every other speaker would have only one minute. My head exploded. I was so angry, I almost got thrown out of the proceeding. If I didn't know better, I thought I was in North Korea, Tehran, mainland China, or some sort of totalitarian state, never in my own country, let alone my own community. Now, to make a long story short, we lost the battle. And the irony is this. No patient, after three years, even occupies the home. We don't have the monetary means as a community to prove it, but the word on the street is that some corrupt corporations have found ways to receive money from the federal and state government through Medicare and Medicaid to somehow make $10,000 per bed per month. They forgot, I guess to say, that the bed must be occupied. Now, you may say, ah, I'm making a personal gripe. Well, let me tell you, I wish that was the case, but it's happening everywhere, in towns ranging from Bend, Oregon to New York City. And again, all of it impacting all political spectrums. For example, the more conservative Wall Street Journal writes about the small town of Lake Oswego being overruled by state and city officials. The more liberal Huffington Post reports about the same type of issues happening in Boston and Wisconsin. And the fact that the 33rd, 36th, 39th, and 40th governors of Illinois were all convicted for fraudulent acts 
doesn't mean that all our elected public officials are, oh, you know what, I'm not saying they're all corrupt, but they definitely have different agendas than we the people. It just means that somehow something got way out of sync. So what do we do? Thomas Jefferson thought it might be a good idea to have a new revolution every hundred years or so. I think the Civil War put a strong enough kibosh on that concept. However, Ben Franklin, he might have had it right. You see, Franklin always believed it was the working person, or as he called us, the Midland people, who our Constitution was made for. And what's most important is that he knew deep down in his heart that the working person was truly what made up we the people. It wasn't the aristocrats of the South or the Northern intellectual gentry, but the root of our nation rested on the middling person, the person who really did the heavy lifting. Benjamin Franklin's autobiography reveals his deep pride in his working class origins and identity. He never tried to hide his poor origins, but rather to celebrate them as a virtue. As an extremely successful printer, Franklin risen the ranks up from the working class obscurity to the highest ranks of Philadelphia society. Yet unlike other self-made men, Ben embraced and celebrated his working class roots and used him and those roots to identify and to firm up his own reputation and earn the support of workers throughout this young nation's history. Historian Walter Isaacson said on this show that Franklin was a born and bred member of the leather apron class, more comfortable with artisans than thinkers, than with the established elite, and he was allergic to the pomp and perks of a hereditary aristocracy. Throughout his life, he would prefer to call himself simply B. Franklin, printer. In fact, historian David Brooks says that Franklin's attitude sprang what may be the most important vision, an American national identity based on the virtues and values of its middle class. Instinctively more comfortable with democracy than were some of his fellow founders, he had faith in the wisdom of the common person and felt that a new nation would draw its strength from what he called the middling people. Through his self-improvement tips for cultivating personal virtues and his civic improvement plans for furthering the common good, he helped to create and celebrate a new ruling class of citizens. David Brooks, Walter Isaacson, and I all believe Franklin had a particular resonance in the 21st century of America. He was a great networker with an inventive curiosity. He would have felt right at home in the information revolution and an upwardly mobile meritocracy. And he would relate to the way he and we try to balance wealth, earthly virtues, and spiritual values. 
but I wonder what he would think if he attended the commission meeting that I attended, or for heaven's sake, if he saw the impeachment hearings. Yes, impeachment hearings are truly democracy in action, but only if they are conducted with the true desire to see justice carried out and not a political charade by two parties who can't agree on a single thing. For good old Ben would see only a few rare examples of character or civic virtue if he saw this in action. His morality was built on a sincere belief in leading a virtuous life, especially if you were to put yourself in a public position, and more especially as a representative of the people. In fact, the motto for the library he founded is this, to pour forth benefits for the common good is divine. The common good not the good of a few corporate lawyers or so-called community activists, but the good of the working people. So do we need another revolution? No, I do not believe that is what we need. What we do need, however, is to ensure that we, the people, at least ourselves, live useful, virtuous, worthy, moral, and spiritually meaningful lives and that we demand no less of the people we put in political, corporate, educational, social, and economical positions of power, for they do not hold the power. We do. Now, I took a line from the song by OAR to begin this chat with you. It was, My daddy told me politicians don't often follow the golden rule. And I want to end with the chorus that followed those words. It goes like this. So we go round and round, and we go over and under, but we do go through. I'm Barry Kibrick. Keep the faith, all ye middling people, for we must, we have no choice. And if you would like to see additional episodes, listen to my podcasts, or connect with me personally and help me in my efforts to create a deeper understanding of our world and a greater appreciation for our role in it, just visit my website at barrykibrick.com. So until we meet again, we the people will continue to go round and around it, go over and under it, but in all cases, we the people will get through. Till next time.